Hey there, welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries podcast. This episode is a little different than the usual studies we have for Sundays and Wednesdays. We actually had a guest speaker, Garrett Morris, come on. Uh, he is our worship pastor at Stillwater Bible Church, and I asked him to teach our Sunday lesson a couple weeks ago. I hope you enjoy this lesson as much as I did. The old guy. You know, when I get away from my kids, the hope is that I kind of lose that. But <laughs> the older I get, the more people I'm the old guy to. So. And I'm getting gray, so I can't. The beard, the hair, it's all gray. Now. Uh, so I want to start. For those of you who don't know me, uh, a little bit about myself. I'm going to give a little brief testimony. And then if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Romans uh, for a a big portion of it, chapter 12. We're actually going to look back at the end of 11, 12, and then we're going to flip a little bit. We're going to be, I'm going to look at Galatians, going to look at um, 1 Thessalonians a little bit. Um, And so we're going to flip around a little bit um, to get there. And then 1 Timothy, but... The main passage is going to be Romans 12. That's where we'll start, so if you want to go ahead and flip there. But a little bit about me. So um, I was born and raised. I was born in 1986. I'm 36. That is young. I don't care what anybody says. That is very young. But So I was born and raised in Perry, Oklahoma. I don't know if anybody knows where Perry is. It's a giant town 25 miles away from here. I graduated with like 83 kids um, in high school. But So born and raised there, went to high school there. In 2004, I came to school at OSU, and so I graduated in 2009. For those of you doing the math, that's about five and a half years for an undergrad. But I graduated in 2009 with a degree in econ, business econ, and then went back to work with my father in Perry in his accounting practice and financial services, was there for, oh, about three years after graduation. Um, During that time, in 2010, I met my wife, Paige, and so... Uh, met Paige in 2010. We were married in 2011, uh, a little over a year after I met her. And then in 2012, I began working back in Stillwater at Exchange Bank, got into banking and left the family business. Then I, we had our first child in 2013, Greenlee. In 2015, we had our second child, Preston. And then in 2019, we welcomed our third child, Haviland. Uh, and then earlier this summer, I went back to start working with my brother again in financial services. And so um, my life is very blessed, far more blessed than I deserve. But uh, my story there goes back to when I was seven years old is when I put my faith in Jesus for eternal life. So at the age of seven, I believed in Jesus for eternal life. I wish I could say at that point, everything changed and I started working and was great, but that wasn't the case. So I was a victim of, of, of a very unclear gospel, okay? I grew up and was told you had to repent of sins, you had to walk down an aisle, you had to do all these things. So I spent the bulk of seven to the age of 26 not really knowing where I was at. I can remember uh, in college many a night that I would lay in bed and pray for my salvation because I didn't understand security. I didn't have the assurance, right? Because I was given an unclear gospel. So you guys are very fortunate that you're here and you're being taught by somebody that knows the clear gospel message. You don't have to worry about that. So I, uh, when I was 20, so 2013, 
we had Greenlee. In 2014, I started coming to Stillwater Bible, and we were actually in the junior high. And that's really when it clicked. It's funny, Paige knew JB because she had gone to the youth group back when he was at Countryside. And we started going, we were in a junior high. I was like, church in a junior high? Okay, whatever. We had just moved, kind of been in Stillwater. We're like, we'll try it out. And we went, and it was funny, we left, and she asked me how it was. I was like, it was great, except he didn't do an altar call. It's like, how are people going to be saved if he doesn't do an altar call? Next week, he actually, I don't know if Paige sent him a message or what, but the very next week he spoke on why. is because by and large, this is where you get trained, right? Believers are coming to church. Evangelism is what we do out there, right? We come, we're trained, equipped, we evangelize. And you don't walk down an aisle to be saved. You don't do any of that. Um, in fact, I can think of when I did, and at the church, it's funny because you walk down an aisle and then everybody comes and tells you how proud they are of you and what a good job you did. And what does that do? It kind of puffs you up. You did something, right? And it wasn't until we understand that there's nothing we can do. It's what Jesus did. And so um, that's kind of my story. And, and I, when that clicked, it's funny, I started serving more than ever. When I had that unclear and I was scared, I didn't do anything. I hid from it. It wasn't until I realized that, hey, I'm going to mess up. That has nothing to do with my eternal life. That's the walk that I'm, I'm, I'm doing, right? Being sanctified. That whole, that sanctification looks like this, at least for me. Maybe not for everybody, but it's a little of this. And it wasn't until I understood that security that I really started growing. Um, so that, that's a little of my life. And so today I want to spend our time looking at some scripture that really kind of changed everything for me. Um, we're going to look at a challenge, we're going to look at a plan, and some encouragement. Um, so we're going to be in Romans 12. Uh, I teach a lot when I do on Paul, because Paul really, I, I, I relate to Paul, right? Paul was a guy who did some really bad things, right? He was a doer, did some really bad things, and then God used him. And I think back, if you would have looked at my life when I was in college or high school, you would have no idea that I was a believer. Not, not a clue, because I didn't live it. And so Paul really, really, um, I, can, I can really relate to Paul. But when I teach, I like to get some background. So the author of Romans, as I just said, was Paul, right? He's writing the book to believers in Rome. It's written in about 57, 58 A.D., Right, as I said, that's formerly Saul. He persecuted Christians. Right, he, he spent uh, a bulk of his life, or, or before, right. He, he was he was very devout, but devout in the wrong thing in the wrong belief. Um, and so he was converted to Christianity on the road to Damascus. Everybody's heard that story, right? He's going to go, and he's actually going to do what? Yeah, he's going to persecute Christians, right? He, in fact. He, he had gone and, and asked for permission to do so, to bring them back and persecute. And it was on that road that a blinding light came. He falls to the ground and hears Jesus' voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he gets up and this begins his conversion. And I, I, I ask myself a lot of times, it's like, why Paul? Think about every Paul? That's who you're going to use? Because Paul then goes on to what? He writes a huge bulk of the new testament his letters right there's 13 of them and so out of the 27 books in the new testament about half of them are paul and i think about it i think one it shows us that anybody can be used right i think paul was a doer 
He was a Pharisee who was very well educated, and he, I think he was well known, right? So, in fact, the apostles were afraid of him first after his conversion. So this shows they kind of knew who this guy was, right? So he's well known, he's a doer, and Jesus knew Paul was going to be very effective because he went on to write 13 books or letters of our New Testament, one of which is this one, Romans. Okay, so the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul, written to believers in Rome. And we're going to look at Romans 12, but like I said, I want to start back in 11. We're going to look at verse 33 through 36 here, where it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So Paul says in Romans 11.33, God's ways and knowledge are so far beyond our comprehension. We can't understand that. Okay, He's just written this. And then goes on and starts in, in chapter 12. Therefore, he says... I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is our challenge. Verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. How do we do this? It's a question. How, how do we do this? What do you think? He's urging us to present our bodies, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. What does that mean? Always man himself. Yeah. We, we dedicate our lives, right? We're offering our lives to to serve God, right? He's saying, he, he's seen this. And Paul, side note, Paul has seen some stuff, right? Paul is saying, listen, God's ways are higher than our ways. Everything for from him, in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. And Paul says, therefore I urge you, it's, it's a begging, he's saying, it's only logical here. Because of this, I urge you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So we do this. We dedicate our lives to serve God. And then verse 2, which is hugely, immensely important. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So do not be conformed to the world. The world's full of lies and half-truths, especially now, right? It's, it's just, it, it almost seems exponentially. I think back to when I was in high school, and we would have homecoming, right? So let's say football homecoming. And we'd be sitting, and people would, um, at least in Perry, the attendants, they'd say something about them, right? They'd talk about as they came around the track. And one of the things they would always say is, so-and-so is a member. I remember a member of First Baptist Church, because that's the church I went to. And we'd look around and like, I've never seen them at church. What do you mean they're here? People were ashamed to not be associated with the church, right? There was this. There was almost this shame with like, I, I'm not. I, I've been there, so that's where I go, right? And we who went were like, 
I don't think I've seen them. You think people care about that now? It's almost flipped, right? And that would have been in 2004. So, man, 18 years ago. But 2004, that's not that long ago at all. And it's completely flipped. So do not be conformed to this world. And then here's our plan. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? By prayer and studying the word. Right? That's how we renew our mind. So by prayer, this is where, so 1 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there. If not, I'm just, so 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I pull out, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. You guys know what pray without ceasing, what does that mean? Always, right? Pray without ceasing, without stopping, right? That's, that's in everything you do, right? It's that idea of having that prayerful attitude, right? Constant communication. It says, in everything give thanks for what? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So there, there's some places that we specifically know the will of God because it tells us. What's the will of God? This here says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's pretty blunt. Right? This is God's will. You want to know what God's will for you? Is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. That's God's will. And then study the word. The Bible is truth. Right? How do we how can we transform by the renewing of your mind? It's you gotta be in this. Where do we know God's plan for our life? The Bible. Where do we go when we need to find truth? Scripture. Right? The Bible's truth. The Word of God, this is our authority. Right? We live in a world now that will tell you things that are completely contrary to this. And I come across a lot of people who want to hear the, what people say in the world, but we don't compare the Word of God to the world and what people may tell us is true to see if the Bible fits that. Right? We compare what the world and others say to the Bible to see if that fits Scripture not the other way around. We live now in a world, and I have people very close to me who want to twist this to try to fit what they believe, what they hear, but it's not. This is our measuring stick, this here. We hear things, we compare it to Scripture. If it doesn't fit, that's wrong, right? This is our truth. This is our authority. And we do that. Why? Because we're to be different, right? We we, we are not to be of the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We take the scripture as our authority, and we live different. Galatians 5.16, right? Does anybody know what that says? I bet you do. You just don't want to say it out loud. Let's say Walk by the, yeah, walk by the Spirit so you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, right? And then it goes on for the flesh, what? Lusts. In the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For they are in what? Opposition. Opposition, right? It says, "But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please." So we're to be different. 
We can't do both. It says it right there. You can't do both. You can't walk by the Spirit and the flesh at the same time. They're in opposition to one another. You're either doing one or the other. And this is the idea of transforming our lives. Right? We want to walk by the Spirit so that we do not carry out the desires of the flesh. And I can see this in my life when I'm not. It's, and, and it doesn't take anything to be conformed to this world at all. You have to consciously make it a point to be transformed because if not, JB's saying what? If you're not consciously being transformed by the word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. And that is so true. If you don't have your guard up and if you're not in the word, guess what? You're going to be in the world because it doesn't take anything. I was watching a football game with my kids. Actually, no, it was OSU's basketball game, unfortunately, on, on Friday when we blew a 17-point lead. But we were, a commercial comes up, and I'm, I'm having to distract my kids. This commercial comes on. I'm like, hey, hey, guys. And I'm trying to talk to Greenlee and Preston the whole time. And they keep looking. I'm like, hey, hey. Because I, I, at this point, I can't. I don't know what to do because we use, like, Hulu. And so it wasn't even like a... Like a commercial is an ad. I can't skip it. And if I turn it off and try to go back on, it's going to play it again. And so I'm like, now I can't even watch sports because my kids are seeing this garbage. And that's the thing. You guard it up because if not, the world is going to, you're going to be conformed to the world easily like that. Like that. I remember, I mean, you guys are in a perfect stage of your life. You talk about being conformed. I mean, you're in the battleground, especially those of you who are on campus. That is a battlefield. And it is, it is so hard if you're not standing firm, if you don't have your guard up, it is so hard to walk by the Spirit. You will absolutely be conformed if you're not paying attention to what's going on. So I got a couple other things I want to talk about, and then I'm going to got a small enough group that I think we can just open it up to a little bit of discussion but Paul so I told you we we're going to have a challenge we're going to look at the plan right so how, how do we uh, Romans 12 1 and 2 right is our plan so how do we offer our lives as a sacrifice to God we have to give our life in service we have to be transformed by the word and then our encouragement. So Paul writes a couple other, a couple of books to another Christian, Timothy. Right? You guys know Timothy. First, second Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, and um, this is where I see a lot of encouragement. Even for me at 36, I'm kind of so. So really, this is probably I'm the age Timothy probably was at this point. So let this be a lesson to you. He's talking to Timothy about his youthfulness here. Okay. <laughs> so and and he's close to my age. So. Uh, in 1 Timothy 4, okay, we're going to look at verse 7 through 12. So he says, Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. I chuckle at that every time I read it. On the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is, of, is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. 
Prescribe and teach these things. And here's where he says to Timothy, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourselves an example, an example of those who believe. So he writes about, bodily dis- or about godly discipline, mentions bodily discipline, but godly discipline, and then says, Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. So I can remember being in college age and not having this eternal perspective, right? Because that's what it really all goes back to, is eternal perspective. As you're young, you kind of, the here and now seems super important, right? You have your whole life ahead of you. As you age and get to be 36 and older and have a family, that eternal perspective really starts to click because you lose parents, you things happen, you're like, this is a very, very short period of time. And I, I, it really hit me, so I'm now over half the age to my, that my father was when he passed. And so that eternal perspective, the earlier you can get it, the more effective you can be, right? You have that eternal perspective. And he says here to, to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness. So as, as you guys are going through college, there are times you might be around people, especially in church here, right? You guys, you have your college group. There's a lot of things that maybe you aren't necessarily in with the adult. I say the adults, you're all adults. But the older, all the old people, okay? All the old people that are in there. But it has the idea of don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness but he doesn't say this to Timothy to puff him up so that he sets himself up what's he go on to say he says but rather in speech conduct love faith and purity show yourself what an example of those who believe so he tells him discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness don't let anyone look down on your youth be an example as a Christian Right? Paul's writing to Timothy here and says that. There are so many things I thought was important as when I was younger, friends, sports, activities, and those things are very important. But those all go away. I still have some of the friends I made in high school and college, but very few. Right? Very few of those. But what I do have is my relationship with Christ. What I do have is my walk and the eternal perspective which will matter right you think about this life college career one day marriage a family it all passes so quickly it may not seem like that now but trust me it does but your relationship with Jesus lasts eternally okay and what we do now has direct implication on how we spend that eternity with him right it doesn't have anything to do with that eternal life. Once we put your faith in Jesus, you're going to be there. You're going to have that eternal relationship, but it has direct implications on what that looks like. Will you be used to serve him in the kingdom? Will you be used here by him? And that all, has, that all goes right back to what you're going to do. Are you going to offer your lives a sacrifice? Are you going to be transformed or are you going to be conformed? So you have a great opportunity now at an early point in life to say, I want my life to count for you. I can remember when I did that, and I was into my mid-20s, late-20s, and how much I missed on, how effective I could have been in college, 
how effective I could because you guys have an opportunity. You have so many people that come to this university from around the world. You talk about the the um, international students that are here. You talk about all these people that come from around the nation and how you have an opportunity to impact people who are going to leave here and take it out. So how great an opportunity it is to be open with your faith, to evangelize, right, to tell people about Jesus, to train them, and they can take that message back to family, to other people later in their life. This time in your life, you can be very effective. I wasn't, and I, I regret it every day. And so that is my encouragement to you is that you have an opportunity to do that. You have an opportunity now to be effective. I'm going to pray and then let's discuss a little bit. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul and his word. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for um, how faithful he was. And I uh, just pray that, that these words um, work in our lives, that we listen to it so that we can know it, so we can apply it, we can pass it on, and that we can be effective for you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I just kind of want to open it up a little bit to some discussion about that. I, I asked some questions as we went through, but, I mean, who all has looked at the Romans passage before, Romans 12, right? We've all kind of seen that. But how, how deep you get into it when you think about, okay, what does offering my life a living sacrifice look like? We talked about it. Give me some, give me some practical application or practical examples of what you think that might look like. Yeah. Last, but I would be happy now. Yeah. Versus when I have to discipline myself to say no, I'm waiting for a future happiness. Sure. Uh, let me ask you: Is it fun to sin? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. But if it was, we wouldn't do it, right? If it wasn't fun, right? But why is it fun? Because it pulls at our what? Flesh. Like you said, that instant gratification. Yeah, that's so true. And you're right. Saying no to those things for. Maybe the eternal reward that's there, right? That's good. What else? I think when I think about the term sacrifice, um, you know, I'm thinking about Leviticus and how they laid out, like God laid out all these different sacrifices. And specifically about, um, I just remember being struck by those that could afford the lamb, you know, the ultimate, like, most expensive sacrifice. They were supposed to give that. But if you were poor, God still laid out a way for you to make a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so the sacrifice wasn't about what they were sacrificing. It was how they sacrificed it. And so I think about, I think sacrificing your life and being um, a living sacrifice is a lot of selflessness and giving up your desires. So if you're ever in a situation where you're tempted to do what you want to do, maybe you should do the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, that's good. And, it, and that kind of goes back to in those moments, if you're in the Word and you know what what that, what that what God would want there, right? You compare, okay, is this something, right? If you have to throw it through, because there are going to be some, there are situations that aren't directly, right? There are situations that aren't directly listed in the Scripture, right? Whether it be drinking, right? Because we see, we see that, right? Jesus, the first, what's the first? Miracle he performed. Right, exactly. And so there are going to be situations, but what does it also say? It says, don't let your 
what? Don't let your freedom be an opportunity for what? Yeah, you don't want to, and you don't want to cause another believer to what? Stumble. Stumble, right? So I serve on the worship team, right? I lead worship. If I was out drinking and someone saw me, it wouldn't necessarily, it's not a sin that I'm doing that, but if someone saw that and they were like, wait, you lead worship, and then all of a sudden it affects them, then what have I done? At that point, that is sinful. And so I have to think about that when I'm out and say, I, I just don't participate in it because I can't allow that to happen. And I wasn't always that way. I'm not saying up here saying I never drank alcohol because that's not true. Mm-hmm. I did. But, but it is a decision that I made once I finally was like, I can't do that because people see me do that and see me in the church or doing whatever. Or if there's people, because here's the deal. When you're out telling people about Jesus, what is the, what is, what is the devil? What, what are they going to do? They're going to try to pick apart your faith as a, as a reason for why they're not going to. Okay? And so if you're going to be bold and you're going to take this message to the world, which we're called to do, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, says as you are going, literally, as you go through life, you're supposed to what? fulfill the Great Commission. right? Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's as you are going. If you're going to do that, and then be with the same people and they see you doing something else, are you going to be effective? Are people going to want to listen to you? No, they're not. And so, so that's, that's a good thing. You have to look at the, okay, I might want to do this, but what's the eternal implication for this for me? And what's the eternal implication for someone who might not believe because they see me and won't listen to me? I think sometimes we can get caught up in the idea of doing these acts of faith. Like, okay, well, I'm going to do this big thing here. So I'm going to go to that. I, I want to do this. I'm going to do this and like do this service to God. And then we go about our normal lives and we're like, yeah, I'm going to do what I want here, though, right? And not making that change of like, well, is what I want to do on a day-to-day basis actually, you know, going to help other believers and edify them and be for the glory of God? Mm-hmm. Instead of um, kind of having this idea of, sometimes we say it's like church on Sunday and they just live my life. And I go back to church on Wednesday and live my life and that kind of stuff. But in the same way, we can do the same thing with our service and with how we live and portray ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. Um, we get caught up in that whole lifestyle. I was thinking too about the Levitical sacrifices and then how it's just what you're able to give God wants you to give. And with the, the Pharisee who gave like blew the trumpets and gave all these things and the little woman who gave these two coins and she actually gave more than what the Pharisee gave because he was he had all this money. He could just give a whole bunch of it was totally fine. But then she gave all that she had. She actually had it was a sacrifice for her wasn't for the Pharisees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. And what, what actually is said about those Pharisees who have given and made a big deal about it, they have their reward in full, yeah. right? Then and now, when they're rewarded at that moment for the trumpets blowing everybody seeing them, that's their reward. But what is the reward for that person who's faithful without worrying about it? That's eternal, right? So that's true. Uh, you bring up a good point. I struggled for a long time with my banking career having... <laughs> Um, I'd say, man, I go to work and I can't be effective. I thought, like, here's my church life and here's work, right? And, and and they didn't, I had this real struggle for a long time about, okay, I'm a professional. I can't, you know, I can only be this way in the bank. It wasn't until I was like, wait, as I'm going. So that's not true. Now, then I, I finally clicked. It was like, my ministry is in my work. My ministry is all of this. And I'm called to be a Christian and to disciple and to evangelize in my job when that opportunity arises as well. They aren't two things, separate things. I'm a Christian that 
works at a bank. I'm not a banker who happens to be a Christian, right? And once those things finally lined up, then I was like, oh, wait, this is all my ministry. My ministry is my life. And that's that offering your life as a living sacrifice, right, as you are going. It's not the, this is my Sunday thing, this is my Wednesday thing, and this is everything else. It all is your ministry. And Sunday and Wednesday, next semester, Tuesday, or is it Tuesday? Oh, yeah. yeah. So a little callback so you don't remember that. But and then that, on Tuesdays, those are your times to be fed so that you can do the ministry, right? That's good. What else? We go till 45 after? Okay. We got time. I think it's like constantly like asking for the humility, like mm-hmm. for Jesus to, to come in your heart and to move and to work. Because without just the asking for the grace and the mercy, I think that I mean we can't do anything by ourselves. So, so it's, it's like that's constantly it. asking for that salvation. Yeah. Like once you like ask Jesus into your life, it's like that from that moment on you're set apart and you're different and you're holy. But it's like constantly asking right. Jesus for their hope to do that. So, yeah, so, so when, you, when you put your faith in Jesus, you get eternal life, right? When you make that decision that you want to be a disciple, right? Those are two different things, right? You put your faith in Jesus, you believe for eternal life to get it, right? Yeah, eternal life, I draw it up here, but, but you've got your, I always draw three, when I do this, I, I draw like three stick figures because I'm not an artist at all. <laughs> There's actually a fourth here, but we won't get into that as far as leader. But but so you got your unbeliever, you've got your believer, can you guys see? Your believer and your disciple, right? You put your faith in Jesus for eternal life. Here, your believer, okay? When you decide you want to be a disciple, when you say, I want my life to count for Christ, you come here, okay? You're a disciple. So but here's the thing. This is where this is where if you're not walking by the Spirit. If you're not in the Word, what happens a lot of times? Mm-hmm. You get a lot of this, right? You never get this, right? You put your faith in Jesus, right? In fact, it's probably better at that point to say, this guy is gone, okay? There is no more of this. You've come to here. You will never be an unbeliever again. You're eternally secure. There's nothing, right? Um, right, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them they follow me and I give eternal life to them and what they will never perish no one can pluck them out of my hand my father who had given them to me greater than all and no one is able I love they throw no one is able to pluck them out of the father's hand I and the father are one you can't even take yourself out right when you put your faith in Jesus you come here and then it's back and forth and that's where you go back to you've got to got to be filled right with the word of God you've got to do that and then it's beautiful so so rewards are based on what your faithfulness right salvation is based on whose faithfulness God's right Christ's faithfulness so God says you're going to be saved he says I promise you'll be saved if you put your faith in me and then your faithfulness is where all the discipleship comes from and then what that's where rewards come into play but here's the, here's the beautiful thing. So we get the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we serve God? How are we even able to? By the Holy Spirit, right? By the power of the Spirit, we're able to serve God. And then he rewards us based on what? 
the service that who has allowed us to do and who has empowered us to do. So he gives us the Holy Spirit, empowers us to serve him based on that, and then rewards us by what he empowered us to do. So it goes back to who? God. It's all God, and it's beautiful. And so you're very right. It's all about it's being filled with the Spirit. It's, it's the idea of being in the Word, being transformed so that we can serve Him, and He will reward us based on our faithfulness. But it's still who? always God. That's so good. And I think for that, it helps me to keep that humility in perspective. When it's like, even when I've done something, I haven't done it, right? God has done it through me, and how great is it that he allows me to be a participator in that, right? What else? What about the idea of Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, right? In First Thessalonians. What does that look like? We talked about it a little bit, but what is that? Rejoice always. What does that I mean always be rejoicing? What does that mean though? Always be realizing what God is giving you and being thankful of it. And I definitely think that having a uh, positive outlook and being very encouraging to other people around you is also a very good way to go because seeing somebody else who's just lighting up the room is always amazing. It's like JB and even some people I've seen here, it's just like you see them and you're like, oh man, I want to talk to that person. We'll right. Yeah, and you want to be someone who people want to talk to, right? But you do that, that's the idea of having this, this joyful heart, right? There's a difference between joy and happiness, right? Happiness is a fleshly emotion that will fail us all the time. But joy comes from the Lord, right? And you can have joy even when you're sad. You can have joy when, you're, when you don't feel good. It's the idea, it's an attitude, right? And it's, it's this idea of even in those, I think of Job all the time. You know, the, the, we do a song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, right? I love that. And, and Job had everything stripped of him. And what's he say? But what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He lost everything. And still, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, and so it's that idea of joy. And that, that, is, a, that is something that only comes from God. There, that's the only way we can have that hope and that joy. And, and, um, but So rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Right? That's, that, that's a tough one sometimes. Right? We think of prayer like, okay, I'm going to do a prayer. We'll pray, right? Okay, stop. I'm gonna pray, but it's not. I mean, when you're driving in your car, when you're, it's just that that constant attitude of prayer and talking with God, and then in everything give thanks for this is what God's will for you. It goes back to that. He tells you what His will is, right there. This is God's will for you that you in everything give thanks, in the trial, in in the good. In the bad, everything give thanks. And this is God's will for you. I think it was back when I, back in the day when I was in college. <laughs> um, and giving thanks was a hard one. You're going through all these exams and all this homework, and it's like giving thanks through thermodynamics homework. And it's like, that's a little rough. Yeah, that would be. But uh, ultimately, I remember I was, I told this a few times, but one time I was sitting there just like stress and kind of down just like 
I am always behind in this class. Like, I'm always behind. I'm always just sitting there trying to catch up. And then I realized, thinking back to last week's homework, that I was doing last week's homework portion on this week's homework just fine. It was the new stuff that I was like trying to keep up with. I was like, I am learning this. What in the world? I didn't know that. I just always felt like I was behind. And so I was able to then be thankful and then have a better attitude and rejoice that he had given me that through prayer. I feel like those rejoice, prayer, and thankfulness all intertwined because the more you are thankful, the more you realize you should be rejoicing. And then the more you're praying to him because you're rejoicing and being thankful, which is really cool. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. It's a... You're right. It's also sometimes very difficult to have that thankful attitude and that prayerful attitude when things are great. And then when things are bad, what do we do? Immediately call out, right? And so it's like in the good, we have to remember that the good is good because of him too. It's not only in our stress, only in our despair that we call out to God. It's that we pray always in the good and the bad. And that's what I see a lot. And even in my life, right, when it's, things are great, I'm like, yeah, things are great. I'm doing this. When they're bad, it's like, oh, I need you, God. I need you, God, right? And it's like, wait, I needed you then, and you were supplying. And, and there's some of that's like he probably was like, hey, dude, it's time for some discipline because you're not thanking me, right? As believers, we should also expect some discipline. When we're not doing what we're supposed to because he's our father just like i discipline my children he's the perfect father and we're going to be disciplined and there should be joy in that because our god our father cares enough to discipline us because it's for our benefit so wise right there's wisdom in that that the adversity and we should be thankful for that adversity right because what happens trials what do they do yeah refines us perfects our faith right it, it's it's in those trials that that the the rubber meets the road right I don't often compare myself to the Israelites because I don't want to. <laughs> um, but this is making me think of like that, you know, that cycle of when it's when it's good, then we don't thank him, and then eventually something happens and we're disciplined. And in the same way, you know, over and over again, they're they're saved, like, okay, great, God's good, and then they kind of just forget, and then something about having to call it to God. It's just a cycle, and then eventually there's a big discipline that comes. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Nehemiah, um, but. Uh, I think, too, with that, it's not just that God is selfish and wants us to thank him. Like, it's also a, it's a command. Like, there's sins of omission. This is his will for us, and if we don't do it, it's not just like, it'd be good for you if you do this. It's like, no, it's wrong to not do it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, discipline should come for that. Which is yeah, and now, I apologize, but now that we've talked about it, you know it, right? You know you're <laughs> supposed to, and so omitting that is, is sinful, right? So there is that. Uh no, that's, that's true, and you're right. It, it, I mean, that's the cycle of the Israelites, right? They brought back, yay, we're here, we're good, we're great. They fall away, right back into judgment, and bring you back. Our family has really enjoyed, uh, in the past couple of years, the song, The Goodness of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it got played the Sunday 
that we found out we bought the house down here. Yeah. And because we didn't think we were getting to it, mom said, she said, I've been singing this all morning around the house. Like, it's okay, all of my life has been faithful. And then my cousin chose it to play at my uncle's funeral, which is really cool because it's a special song to us. And yeah. Then, but I feel like for me, I'm, I feel like I'm, it's, I'm definitely stronger about thanking God things are going well because, I mean, I mean, sometimes I forget, yeah, but overall that's more of a strength of mine being like, God, this is awesome, thank you so much. But then when it's going bad, I'm like, no, why? <laughs> yeah. So I don't, and then I'm like, oh, I don't grow through this trial, I might have to grow through it again. And I'm like. Right. <laughs> yeah, and some of that, I think, goes back to the eternal perspective, too, that here and now there are going to be difficulties, but when we understand that even those are to refine us and that, that, that the eternal perspective is that's very short term, right? And there's bad, I mean, bad stuff, right? Losing my dad wasn't fun, right? None of that was, was good. Uh, he had an accident in 2014 where he was paralyzed for the last seven years of his life. That was horrible, but it, I had time. Th then you start to think, okay, without that, though, I had some time with my dad that I never would have had before. Um, there were things in, in, in his life that, that were just kind of barriers to things that we could do. And, and I had direct time with him to discuss, and I would have never had that had that not have happened. Um, and so you also think, as you look back, it's like, oh, he knew. Yeah, God knew what he was doing. There was a plan. There were things that, that put these trials in my life, and he knew what he was doing. say um, I was thinking about God's discipline because partially because of the Nehemiah study and they're coming back after they've been disciplined um, and the way that uh, even people around us like you know you get disciplined as a kid you don't like it um, but then you grow up and you go back to your parents and you're like thank you for disciplining me right <laughs> I see the consequences of someone who wasn't disciplined yeah um, and the same way yeah looking back with, with our Heavenly Father it's like how much greater we realize that this actually helped us out yeah I see that even more now as a parent. I'll talk to my kids about their discipline. I'm like, listen, this we do this for your own good. And you could tell Preston's like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And I'm like and I'm like, no, I'm serious. But you're I think back to when I was a kid and I felt the same way, right? You just don't want me to have fun, Dad. Right? Why can't I jump off a bunk bed and break my thumb and not tell my parents and find out from the sitter but which happened to Madeline but, uh, but it's you're right and and as we can see that and now as a parent I, I can really relate to the fact of God does it for my good when I'm disciplined it's 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 for my good it really is I don't like it in the times but I should be thankful for it I think that suffering points us like back to the cross. Mm -hmm. First Peter says, uh, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal that has come on you tests you as though something strange is happening, happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. You may be over, overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And so it's like that suffering and that, that just that discomfort that we're feeling is pointing us back to, to the mm -hmm. cross. And we're going to be uncomfortable in this world. Sure. And if we're constantly trying to seek approval of men, yeah. That's, that's just like we're only going to find yeah. discomfort. We should be we'll discomfortable. We shouldn't yeah. be comfortable in this world, right? We're not. When we're around that, it's uncomfortable. And and the more you the more you're in the word, 
the more you see it, and it's like this is not right, right? And and if we don't, if you don't see that, then you can probably check yourself a little bit by the by the word. That's good. All right, I've ran us up to time. Um, Blake, we pray yeah. for us. God, we thank you so much for this morning, for uh, your word and how great it is and how impactful it is it is uh, in our lives. Uh, thank you for the challenges you have in there. There's convictions. Uh, for us to, to live for you, knowing that ultimately the life you have for us is